house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. a heart attack and ruin my vacation. Universal Pictures presents... I'm in love with a man, but I don't know who he is. Brad Pitt. What I know is what I want, and what I want is Susan. You're violating the laws of the universe. Anthony Hopkins. You're at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong woman. Are you threatening me? Yeah, I certainly hope so. And Claire Forlani. I want to be with you, Joe. In a Martin Brest film. The time has come to tell you who I am. Joe, I'm afraid. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast drying out weed in our kitchen with Brittany Murphy. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with my co-host, who is currently walking over a bridge under an elaborate fireworks display, Joe Reed. (laughs) I... I have so many questions about the fireworks in this movie. Just just the fireworks. I it's have like a question as to why the fireworks had an intermission. Yes. There's a long break in the fireworks. Yes. It feels like it they go on for as everything does in this movie, the the actual like fact of it just goes on forever. It just stretches out into infinity on both ends. Yeah. Time is the flattest circle with this film. Yes. For real. But Ugh, yes, but you know, we do also have to help us unpack the longevity of this movie. We also have a special guest today. I'm very excited about this. Very excited. You know him as the uh, co-host of Who Weekly podcast, and also newly the I'm obsessed with this podcast. It's Mr. Bobby Finger. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Hello, Bobby. Everyone. Sorry, I was I, I didn't participate because I was too busy staring at the fireworks. They're still going they're still on. Happening. Still somehow in happening. my apartment. Marsha Gay Harden apartment, is very happening. pleased with how it turned out, though, and that's genuinely all I care about in this movie is her happiness. <laughs> yes. Yeah, poor Marsha Gay the, Harden. They're the uh, wait. No, the light. The lighting is the prose. The food is the poetry. No, the lighting is the poetry. The food is the prose. The food is the okay. prose. None mm-hmm. of it makes sense the way anybody says it, but you know what? I'm glad we we were dedicated to getting the phrase right. <laughs> Holy God, <laughs> Jesus! What did you think, Joe? I mean, okay, so this was my first time watching this movie. I I should mention I wrangled Bobby into talking about Meet Joe Black, both because we've talked about this forever. In sort of, I've known that you've had a soft spot for this movie forever or at least a soft spot for the score because one of my very favorite yeah. things about you is that you are incredibly knowledgeable talking about original movie um, movie <laughs> scores and you tweeted I think just randomly one day a few months ago um, I have the tweet I brought right. the tweet up because I wanted to remember it was you oh said received a text in which a friend scare quotes friend dragged me after noticing I was listening to the Meet Joe Black score on their Spotify feed. But here's the thing you need to know about the Meet Joe Black score. It's Thomas Newman's masterpiece. This, <laughs> And then you're just like, this has been a Friday tweet. I hate, I hate, I hate thinking about things I've tweeted. Um, <laughs> it but, was, I, but as soon I as you tweeted that, it. I literally jumped into your DMs and I'm like, Bobby, do you want to come on our show and talk about Meet Joe Black? <laughs> because and I absolutely did. Yes, I knew you would. Ugh. 
it was the perfect match of I think guest and movie. And Chris, you'd seen it before. Or this was the first time for you as well. I had fully not seen this movie before, though. It's just like yeah. it, there's something like it, Brad Pitt in this movie embodies death, but it's like he's not like a demon, like he's from hell or like an angel from heaven or whatever you want to call it. He's more like the like death archangel of purgatory so it's like we haven't seen this movie before but like it just has existed all through time around us like that's how long it feels like this movie you are living with it when you watch it it's it's three hours long which when you first said when you first said chris that you're just like you're settling down to three hours of meet joe black i thought you were kidding i thought that was like haha imagine a movie and then you put it in front of yourself three hours long yeah. And then 20, 21 years after the fact, you realized he wasn't kidding. <laughs> I authentically hope that when this movie opened in 1998, that there were like several viewers who saw the movie and like it was like a perfect sunshiny day. And then they walked out of the movie into a blizzard as if like months right. had gone by. Seasons had changed. <laughs> well, this was famously the movie that people uh, had gone to see just to see the Star Wars Episode One Phantom Menace trailer. Yes. Because mm-hmm. that was like the weekend right that it out. premiered. And that was sort of how, however apocryphal those tales were of like people going, seeing the trailer, and then like fully walking out and mm. uh, meet Joe Black making a little bit more money in its opening weekend. It still didn't make a ton of money. Yeah, it opened in third place opposite I Still Know What You Did Last Summer and The Waterboy. I was going to say that it was like the second weekend of, of at least one of those, I think, too. It was... The Waterboy. Yeah, was it? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, see, I, saw, I saw The Waterboy that weekend. Did you? I don't I think I saw weekend. any of those movies in, in the theater. That or uh, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Which is funny because I remember being obsessed with seeing the first I Know What You Did Last Summer in theaters to the point where a group of my friends went and saw it without me. And I was pissed at them for, I want to say, the better part of two weeks. Like, I would not talk to any of them. I was so mad at them for seeing that movie without me because I was so excited. And and it's not like I didn't like it. But I, for whatever reason, the downshift from Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Phillippe to only Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prinze Jr. in the sequel. And I was just like, eh, less interested. Yeah, I, I actually, I was thinking about that recently. It was, um, I... I who it was Price Peterson on Twitter was talking about how much he loves the Sarah Michelle Gellar character and I know what you did last summer yeah. and I have recently rewatched it too and I was like she really is the the life of that movie so why why would anyone care about the sequel no offense to you I mean I feel like I <laughs> I was also excited for that movie for the second one but it took seeing the second one to realize wait a minute something is off here yeah we lost the two the two best parts of I this. will not stand for this brandy erasure there's no. I will not stand and there's for There's no Anne Hesh. Anne Hesh is not in the second one. That's true. Anne Hesh is not in the second one. Mackay know... Pfeiffer. Mackay Pfeiffer. Yes. Chris? Yes. Right. But you know Randy what? The second Mackay one Pfeiffer. also has. It has the original track by Jennifer Love Hewitt. How do I deal? Oh wait, is that true? <laughs> oh yes, I was obsessed with that song. I bought that soundtrack just for that song. Uh, we were. Who was? People were talking about that movie on Twitter recently too. I think it was. I think it was Ira Madison and. Talking about just how much he, uh, the second movie is ridiculous, but is like fun. And it reminded me that is the movie that I always have in my head where the villain's identity is given away by his name, 
where the the bad guy played by Matthew Settle from Gossip Girl when he was still doing like young guy roles, right? Um and the bad guy's name is Will Benson and he ends up like chasing Jennifer Love Hewitt by the end and she's just like just tell me why. And of course the the hook guy from the first movie is named Ben. And so Matthew Settle just goes, don't you get it, Julie? Will Benson? Will Ben's son? And I just remember, oh. like, throwing things at my television. So stupid. It's also it. um, our friend of the podcast, Kieran Scarlett, always talks about on Twitter, because this, I guess, is an episode about Twitter. Um, yes, it is. He always talks about how this is a movie completely predicated on the fact that, like, you have to buy that a serial killer faked a radio show and then yes! had enough money to buy plane tickets for all of these people to send them to Brazil just to kill them. Yeah. Just to kill one of them. Yeah. He didn't care about Brandy and Mackay <laughs> Pfeiffer, really. He'll kill them while they're He there. only really wanted to kill Julie. Jesus. That I remember her name was Julie, too, is, is a thing I need to unpack about my life. Julie. Chris, give us the stats on Meet Joe Black. Okay, so Meet Joe Black, as we've noted, is a three-hour slash three-day-long movie. David Lean epic. Yeah. yeah. David Lean epic about uh, ostensibly kind of nothing and, like, publishing, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, it's directed by Martin Brest, um, notedly famous for Scent of a Woman, but also Geely, um, written by a slew of people, including Ron Osborne, Jeff Reno, Kevin Wade, and double Oscar winner Bo Goldman, who I think we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, it's yeah, adapted from sure. the film and play Death Takes a Holiday, um, and there's a whole lot of credits assigned to that. It was originally an Italian play adapted to English then became a movie with Frederick March. Um, the Micho Black, this iteration, stars Brad Pitt as a death, also known as the uh, titular Joe Black, Anthony Hopkins, Claire Forlani, Marsha Gay Harden, Jeffrey Tambor, and Jake Weber. It debuted in mid-November, November 13th, 1998. There's a lot going on there. I love that this was on. like the one moment in time where Claire Forlani would have been in a movie. Like, it really is just oh, like yeah. you throw a dart at the time-space continuum, oh. and it's like just this part <laughs> is the only part where you would have seen Claire Forlani in this movie. And she, like, just... What had she done, bef- what had she done before that? Mallrats I mean, I was, was Mall the Rats. only thing I had seen her in before this. And then after it, it was literally, like, L'Oreal commercials or something like that. I remember her <laughs> being, like, in some sort of cosmetic commercials, and then, like, that was fully it. I would put so and, much money down that she had been in Gap ads or something. In this movie, she looks like she oh, walked off of a Gap ad. Remember that one line of Gap ads where they were doing, like, I'm just mad about Saffron or whatever, like, all of that, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Um, and they all had, like, Rashida Jones was in those ads. The guy from Phantom Planet was in those ads. This one guy who ended up being on General Hospital, who nobody knows about but me, was in those ads. But it was, like, the most, like, oddly talent-rich series of advertisements ever and i'm pretty sure you're right i think she was one of the people who was in those she was but like I mean, she looks like a gap ad her okay sense. her imdb known for is micho black doesn't even have mall rats which i feel like is wild micho black mystery men don't remember her in that fully saw that um the medallion with jackie that movie chan, with jackie, jackie chan, chan. Mm-hmm. she's not oh she is she's on the poster of that it's her and and Jackie Chan doing like oh, movies, and then in the name of the king, the, a dungeon siege tale. Wow, the Uva Bowl film. Yes, the Uva Bowl film. So truly, 
that's apparently that's she was also why. in The Rock, and her character name. Get this, because if you don't get wider than Claire Forlani, her character name is Jade Angelou. If these hoes try to come for me, <laughs> <laughs> she also apparently just shows up in various CBS procedurals for like a handful of episodes where it's like CSI New York, 11 episodes, NCIS Los Angeles, seven episodes, Hawaii Five-O, six episodes. Um, My favorite Claire Forlani performance is an antitrust. Oh, oh she is an antitrust. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Which I have a, which I have a weird, I was really into antitrust and I, and I don't, I don't know if I can really explain why I, I that's had, Ryan Phillippe. Yes. Ryan Phillippe and Tim Robbins yes. and Claire Forlani and, um, God, who plays his girlfriend? It's uh, Rachel Lee Cook. Oh, and there's probably the uh, last oh, yeah, she's not the girlfriend. She's she's the um, Claire Falani is the girlfriend, and Rachel Lee Cook is the sort of like not quite femme fatale who works at the like Microsoft or whatever with him. Okay, but Claire, uh, I had a weird moment with that movie where I was really into it, and uh, I like owned it. I I watched it a lot. I don't. I mean, I can't. I can't explain any of these decisions. But at some point in my childhood, I was at my grandparents' house, and I guess their cable was out or. For some reason, we we wanted to watch something, but we couldn't watch it on television. And we had to go to the video store and rent something because the TV didn't work. And there were all of these options. And my mom was like, you give me and grandma some options. And I brought antitrust and maybe five other VHSs to them. And they picked antitrust. (laughs) (laughs) And I watched it with my mom and my grandmother. The upset of the century. Yeah, wow. And you know what? They said they liked it. That's good. That was good. Wasn't Antitrust like one of the first times that the internet started being plots in movies? Am I crazy for remembering that? It's definitely yeah, well, it was... an early an early one. I feel like the net was like the great uh trailblazer in that regard. Yeah. And Angela Bennett. It's 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 Angela Bennett, Ruth Marks. The but Antitrust did a thing, like really was sort of forward thinking, and it's like conception perception of the internet because like a lot of it had to do with like digital video and he was like the internet's going to be all about video and you know that it was it was spot on in a lot of ways and so the like the climax the reveal of the movie he broadcast this thing on all of these screens around the world which is sort of i don't know it's a little it's a little ahead of its time kind of but it's not great can I tell you another Claire Forlani thing as I'm doing my little Claire Forlani research? She was Can part of the... Can we only talk about Claire Forlani? <laughs> yes. This has become a Claire Forlani podcast. <laughs> Hour and a half of Claire Forlani, just as you all imagined it would be. Um, she was part of the... Remember that like that mini boom of Freddie Prinze Jr. movies where he was just the romantic lead in all sorts of teen to 20-something rom-coms? She was in a movie mm-hmm. called Boys and Girls... Yes. Where I'm going to describe the poster to you, which is Freddie Prince Jr. in chinos and a sweater on one side of like the logo <laughs> of Boys and Girls. And on the other side is Jason Biggs with like spiky frosted tips and like a long sleeve tee with a flowered Hawaiian shirt, oh, short sleeve Hawaiian shirt over the tee. And I'm pretty sure these are cargo pants and like sneakers, like, but like ratty sneakers. So like he's like the best friend. And Sketchers, Jr., it's the S. <laughs> and then Claire Forlani is like lounging atop this like block that is the title graphic of Boys and Girls and she's like Michelle Pfeiffer pose on the piano Baker Boys style but like mm-hmm. leaning onto Freddie Prince Jr. and like hugging his shoulders and like face against his face but it's the most awkwardly like unromantic 
and unsexy pose possible. It's part of this, like, Freddie Prinze Jr. wave where, like, I'm looking at it on IMDb and it's giving me the, like, more like this. And it's literally a block of movie posters that is all Freddie Prinze Jr. with, like, a female co-star kind of hanging onto him. Where it's, like, Julia Stiles in Down to You. Rachel Lee Cook and She's All That. Um, a bunch of women, including Monica Potter in Head Over Heels. Jessica Biel oh, in Summer Catch. Like, we gave this guy so many movies. Yeah, he sort of... he he. He comes across to me as like an early two thousands. Like he tested well, oh, and yeah. so he kept he kept performing badly. But there were people like with spreadsheets printed out, like, "Well, he's testing well. Like people are liking him. Let's try again yeah. because he's off the charts in the in the lab." Yeah. But he wasn't. He was never working out like in real life. No, no, hardly ever. <laughs> and I saw a lot of those movies, and I even saw a bunch of movies that seemed like they would have him but didn't. Like uh, that movie, Get Over <laughs> It, with. Yeah, it was just sort of like that, like she's all that. I feel like she's all that was like the big success that begat all of them. Right. Kind of. Yeah, that sounds right. What a time. What a time to be. Because that was still in the 90s. And I think everything else you mentioned was like 2000. Early 2000. Like 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. I saw all of those movies, too. And including Boys and Girls, which do you know why I saw that movie? This will not shock you. That was like that was. Heather Donahue of the Blair Witch Project (gasps) was in it and like for whatever reason I had invested in like people thought she was terrible and I wanted to support her mind you I was maybe 12 years old at the time and I saw that movie for Heather Donahue that's so real though that that feeling I feel that in my heart I feel I remember that I remember the emotional truth of that feeling of wanting to like support her i want to i remember her getting interviews and being like yeah i just want to show that i'm a good actress like blah 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 because the perception after like blair witch project had worn off was that she was terrible in this movie for some reason i think it's really just because people hate women um and like she's in the movie for maybe two or three scenes and i think freddie prince jr dumps her at the beginning of the movie and she has like Uh a bad reaction to it and it's not very good but yeah that's the, the you know who turned out being pretty good out of Blair Witch was Joshua Leonard. Mm-hmm. I've actually oh, yeah. enjoyed him in a few things. He was in that movie with Vera Farmiga where she plays the like religious woman. Higher Ground. Who... Higher Ground. Yes. Wait, did we see that together maybe, Bobby? We saw that together, Joe. We did. Okay. <laughs> He's really good in that movie. I really liked him in that movie. Go Joshua Leonard. So at least one of the Blair Witch stars made it through. Bobby, do you want to do a 60-second plot description? Yeah. Of Meet Joe of Black. Of Meet Joe Black? Sure. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, uh, Meet Joe Black is... Wait, hold on a second, because uh, we're going to time you. We'll, we'll Wait, Chris, do you, have okay. a, do, you, As if, do you have a timer ready? Uh, yes, I can have the timer ready. It's like we okay. we have a three-hour, four-day movie. And I was going to say, 60 seconds, episode. please. Yeah. Okay, so Bobby, if you are ready for your 60-second plot description, mm-hmm. your time mm-hmm. starts now. Mijo Black is about a uh, very, very wealthy 64-year-old named Bill Parrish, who's played by Anthony Hopkins, and he has a heart attack at the beginning of the movie um, and is very near death. Meanwhile, what's happening, His one of his daughters, Claire Forlani, meets a handsome young Brad Pitt in a coffee shop. They get along. There's, like, some chemistry there. Then they separate. He gets killed. But guess what? He comes back. 30 seconds. As 
Joe Black, who is sort of death, but as Chris said earlier, sort of just like he's the head honcho in charge of like purgatory. Brad Pitt is also Joe Black. Claire Forlani thinks that he's the guy from the coffee shop, but really he's there to take her father to the next place. But guess what? She falls in love with him, but he's death, which is a problem. So, oh God, Anthony Hopkins doesn't want death to fall in love with his daughter. Uh, then Marsha Gay Harden has to throw a party. And time. Okay, so this is terrible because, Bobby, this is the longest movie we have done on this podcast, and I think that's the first time that the 60-second plot description felt comprehensive ever. (laughs) That just tells you exactly what this movie is. Well, and it also fully, like, sets aside the entire stupid business plot that nobody cares about with, like, Jake Weber and Jeffrey Tambor and, like, ooh, is somebody going to, like, get the company out from under him? And my whole thing is just, like, he's dying? So who cares, kind of? Right. Right. Because it's not like either one of these daughters, like, Claire Forlani is a doctor. She doesn't want to inherit this business. Marsha Gay Harden, I, doesn't really... Like, she's planning this party, but they never give this indication that she would be, like, inheriting the business if her father died. So who gives a fuck about whether Jake Weber, like, hostile takeovers this company? That's, I mean, of the the many unbelievable things about this movie, um, the many completely bizarre things about this movie, the fact that Anthony Hopkins, Mr. Businessman's firstborn, whether a man or a woman, wouldn't have been, you know... yeah. Mr. or Mrs. Business yeah. makes no sense. Yes. Like, Marsha Gay Harden would have been a ball buster. Yes. She would have been young Anthony She's Hopkins. already super type A as she's planning this party. Just, like, connect the fucking dots, man. Yeah, that's 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 how he would have raised his firstborn child, yeah. r- regardless. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense that I feel that she so is much sympathy she is. for Marsha Gay Harden's character throughout this entire movie. Yeah. Because, like, from minute one, she is, like, she is working. She is making sure that the freesias are where they are and that the band is hired and that there's food on food. <laughs> and, like, 20 of the Fortune 500 are going to show up and whoever. And literally nobody gives a fuck. Like, people yeah. are, like, we're, like, her father is actively hostile as the movie goes on to this whole idea of a party because it makes him seem like whatever more down to earth and you know the audience will like him better if he doesn't care about this big fancy party being thrown in her his honor and meanwhile she's like <laughs> helicoptering in and like moving heaven and earth to make this giant you know fancy ass party happen and nobody gives her any credit for it and at the very least they give her like a moment towards the end of the movie where she does call him out on it. And I feel like the movie is decently on her side in that moment, which I was happy for. Yeah. That's a good moment. I mean, and also nobody calls, nobody gives her anything um, regarding that party, but they do give her a wild fireworks budget. (laughs) They sure fucking do. No one gives her any credit, but they give her just the most deranged fireworks budget. It's like, they're both, it goes on forever. And they're also just like, giant fireworks they're just like you ever see a movie where they get too overzealous about like the moon where like we're gonna have the moon in this shot and it's gonna look really pretty and the moon looks like fucking jupiter is about to melancholia its way into earth and it's just like it's too much and it's like it's it's like when people take photos of i saw a photo of this yesterday where someone was like look at this beautiful photo of the moon in la today and it's like that's not what the moon looks like you used your fancy lenses right. to make the moon look bigger right. that these these moon photos aren't real yeah. um, agreed and the other thing is that 
while you watch this fireworks display at the end of the movie, you're also like, these are these are real fireworks. Like, yeah. These are not CG fireworks. This isn't some weird... I mean, a lot of this, I'm sure, was was done in post but like a lot of these fireworks looks like they're look like they're in camera like this was an expensive movie so the pressure was probably on anthony hopkins not to fucking mumble mouth his way through his lines like he (laughs) does sometimes where he just sort of like speaks at a very rapid welsh clip and you're just like anthony what did you just say what was that (laughs) maybe one more time it's a weird movie it's a weird movie yeah it's a weird movie and it's also uh, i mean one thing that I couldn't really get over from from the very beginning is that really this is about this is about death coming down to earth and helping this one guy out and it's like the first time that he's ever been this enamored by someone it was just like some rich old white dude yeah this yeah. is the first time that it's ever happened <laughs> right. and then in he's eternity. giving him exactly what he wants then there's the scene in the hospital where he speaks patois with the Jamaican oh woman. my god and the Jamaican woman is the Jamaican woman is miserable and like you know, and she's like literally old person. Death, take kill me, me away, please. please kill me. And he's like, oh, I I can't break the rules. No, it's not your time. And it's like you're literally doing this with for to another person right now, and you won't give her what she wants. Imagine you're desperate to take Anthony Hopkins into the next place, and he's like, no, not quite yet. Imagine and this that there woman was a begging day you. in human history that was spent with Brad Pitt on a movie set. Being like, no, I can't do it, man. I'm on vacation. It was and like just... the return of Adam Sandler's Cajun Man from <laughs> SNL, <laughs> but with frosted tips. It's insane. Yeah. It's oh, wild. The frosted tips. It's super wild. It's really hard to take him seriously with the frosted tips, especially in that final, those final few scenes. I want to get into the Brad Pitt of it all and why why this movie had Oscar buzz. But before we do, I came up with a little game because I know, Bobby, you are... <laughs> my trusted resource for movie scores and that this is how (laughs) this uh, whole episode sort of came to be was you enthusing about Thomas Newman. So Mm -hmm. I went into like 1990s Oscar nominated movie scores. It's, you know, a a fond topic of mine as well. There are Mm -hmm. 19 composers who were nominated for at least two Oscars in the nineties. Oh, Okay. I want to see if you can like I want you and Chris like go back and forth and see if you can like how many you can name just the names just like the actual composer. Yeah. So, uh Bobby because you are a guest, you can go first. Thomas Newman. Thomas Newman. Would you like to hazard a guess as to whether he had 2, 3 or 4 nominations in the 90s? Oh my god. Um well, he didn't. I know he didn't get nominated for Metro Black, so he that's didn't. out of the picture. Right. Um, he got nominated for American Beauty. Yes. Um, God, did he have another one? Well, he had at least oh. two because all these people have. At oh least well, two. I mean, oh well, yeah, Shawshank Redemption. Well, of course, he had Shawshank Redemption. He had that. Um, I I would say two. Yeah, I know. Two was, There's one more. Which? What do we got? Because I think we talked about this on a recent episode. Unstrung Heroes. Unstrung Heroes, 1995. Unstrung Heroes. Yeah. 
There's actually one more. He had four in the 90s. It was Shawshank in 94 and also in 94 uh-huh. nominated for Little Women. So he had two nominations in the same oh, year. Oh, of course. Okay. All right. Chris, who, name me another composer from the 90s. Um, I mean, I'm just going to go for the obvious one and say John Williams. John Williams. Would you? Uh, but, like, it's the obvious one, but I don't know if I could place any of the scores. It's just like he's... I forget what's the like shortest stretch the of him not being nominated. Um, but John Williams, yeah. John Williams. Would you guess that he had six, seven, eight, or nine nominations? Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, I, I'll split down the middle. Seven. Nine. Wow. Fully nine. Nine. I'm not going to make you guess Italia. them all. I'll just say. Um, what year didn't he, didn't he get one? Um, 1992, 1994 were the only two years in the 90s that he didn't oh, get Oh, so he was a double nominee. That and, makes sense because you're also talking about the year of the years of two score categories, so dramatic. Right, I was about to say, yeah. like, when did that end? That was in the nineties. It was ninety five through ninety eight, so it was yeah, four years. It's not okay. very long. Yeah, okay. John Williams nominated for Home Alone, JFK, Schindler's List, Sabrina, Nixon, Sleepers, Amistad, Saving Private Ryan, and Angela's Ashes. Oh. Wild. All right, Bobby, what do you got? Um. Uh. I'm just going to like obvious people. Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. Yes. Would you guess yeah. three, four, or five? I know we got the well. There's the obvious. There's the Lion King. Um, the the thin red line. Uh, I can think of two right off the top of my head. Um, three, four, or five? Yeah. Three. Five. Lion King, Preacher's Wife, As Good As It Gets, The Prince of Egypt, The Thin Red Line. Wow. Prince of Egypt was shared with other people. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I see, I see. Chris, your turn. Uh, I'll go with another obvious one, James Horner. Yes, James Horner. Two, three, or four? Three. Titanic. Yep. Apollo 13. Yep. I don't like this movie. Do I like this movie? Probably not. <laughs> Oscar winner. Best picture winner. It won winner. for the score? Yeah, no, one for the p- best picture. Oh. Um, mm, is, it, mm, is it Braveheart? Yes. It's Ew. Braveheart. Yes, exactly. Oh, that was two in one year, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Apollo 13 oh. and Braveheart. Yeah. yeah, two in one year. Bobby, you're next. Um... Uh, John Barry. John Barry. Yes. Two. Oh. Do you get you care to guess which two? Uh, well, I was just thinking Dances with Wolves. I don't know that I could name the other Chaplin one. Chaplin was the other one. Chaplin? Yeah. Okay. You know, I never saw Chaplin. It's it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. As much as I can remember it. It's a film that exists in history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chris. Uh, Randy Newman. Randy Newman. Two, four, or five? Uh, oh. God, I'm going to say five. Five, Just because, yes. yeah, he has a million, so yeah, five. Avalon, Toy Story, James and the Giant Peach, A Bug's Pleasant Life, Phil? and Pleasantville. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Pleasantville's so good. Bobby, you're up. <laughs> um, uh, James Newton Howard. James Newton Howard. James Newton Howard had three. Okay. Guess? Guesses? Uh... Guesses. Uh, well, definitely my best friend's definitely wedding. Definitely my best friend's wedding. Uh, yep. Um, okay. 
Uh, the next guest, I I fully know this because this is all just musical comedy scores, and I can't remember the years, but I know Mark Shaman. He has three. Um, yes. First Wives Club, Patch Adams, and The American President. The yes. American President, I don't care whatever beat it, American President should have won. What Agreed. That was 95, so that uh, oh God, The Postman, Il Postino, won best. Wait, that was dramatic score, hmm. sorry. Comedy score, that was the first year of the comedy score category, and Pocahontas rode the, that was the last of the Disney wave to triumph. Uh, that was, what, four straight years? One, two, four out of five years, the Disney movie triumphed in uh, original See, score. See, Pocahontas already one. had the song Colors Oscar. of the Wind. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. There's nothing should have beat American president. I agree. All right, Bobby, you are up. Um. Well, uh, what do I just say? Alan Menken. Yes. Alan Menken. Alan Menken. There are all those Disney movies. Yeah. Yes. Um. He had two with. Well, here I'll, I, I'll let Chris. Chris, why don't you guess the other one who was partnered with Alan Menken on at least two of those? Uh, Stephen Schwartz, Alan Menken. Stephen Schwartz. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they both did and was... Pocahontas and The Hunchback of Notre Dame together. And The Hunchback of Notre Alan Dame. Alan Menken yeah. was nominated with Howard Ashman for Beauty and the Beast, and Schwartz was nominated with Hans Zimmer for The Prince of Egypt. Are we I won't make you guys go through major? all of them. But there's... Okay, yeah, what? just give us the rest. Okay. Patrick Doyle, Sense and Sensibility, mm-hmm. Hamlet. Oh, Danny yeah. Elfman, Man in Black, Goodwill Hunting. Dang it. Elliot Goldenthal, an Interview with the Vampire, and Michael Collins. The three-person one was Jerry Goldsmith, who was nominated as part of a group with Mulan, and then also was Basic Instinct and LA Confidential. Oh, LA Confidential. Dave Grusin, who was Havana and The Firm. The Firm is an iconic score. It's like Mm -hmm. the score that all those other 90s thrillers kind of base themselves on, I feel like. Mm -hmm. David Hirschfelder for Shine and Elizabeth. Rachel Portman for Emma and The Cider House Rules. Gabriel Yared for English Patient Intelligent Mr. Ripley, and Richard Robbins for Howard's End and The Remains of the Day. Good job, you guys. Dang. You guys didn't get any wrong. Wow. I was impressed. I thought maybe uh, somebody would take a flyer on a composer who didn't really show up until the 2000s or something. But you guys... I would have guessed maybe Alan Silvestri, just because my mind was just trying to remember like score nominees and Forrest Gump came to mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. just that. That was his only nomination in the 90s. Ennio Morricone, only one nomination in the 90s. Philip Glass, only one nomination in the 90s. Aishim. Um, interesting. It's an interesting It's an interesting lineup. What was his What was his one? Was it like Who's? Kundun or something? Philip Glass? Was Kundun. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. that's right. Okay. Not too bad, you guys. All right, so now let's jump into why Micho Black... Had Oscar buzz, and I feel Just like it's a question: Why Micho Black? Why Micho Black? Why? But also, like at the time, it does not seem that crazy because Martin Brest had not made Geely yet. Anthony Hopkins mm-hmm. was like just at the end of his '90s Oscar nomination run, where it had been '91 Sounds of the Lambs wins, '93 um, Remains of the Day, '95 Nixon, '97 Amistad. And that was his last, right? He hasn't been nominated since then. Uh, no, no, I don't right. think so. So this because this is also after. pre like going full hog into the Hannibal Lecter sphere. Like this is what us still remembering him from like Merchant Ivory movies. 
Right. This was before he ever revisited Hannibal. And this was also Brad Pitt had just had his first nomination a couple years before with 12 Monkeys. And this was him returning to, because 12 Monkeys was like, he's weird, he's a supporting actor, he's, you know, playing against type, he's looking, like, dirty and gross and whatever. Um, But then Micho Black, and also, I would say, the year before, Seven Years in Tibet, um, he's very much back to very handsome, very sort of, like, perfectly, this was, like, the epitome, he and Gwyneth had broken up by this point, but just and he was still looking like (laughs) his hair is so meticulously messy like sort of like rumpled in this movie it's like there was absolutely one person on set whose job it was to like make sure that every single every single bit of his bangs were like in place and it was i feel like this i always like I even put Seven under this rubric in terms of his career, even though Seven was obviously a much darker movie and a much darker role. But it was like just the look of Brad Pitt felt very much like together. This was before he started like making movies like Snatch and um, where like every movie seemed to in the 2000s seemed to be an excuse for Brad Pitt to like mess up his image. Whereas this stage of his career, he was leaning into that image this feels yeah like this is much closer and more adjacent to like prestige brad pitt of the 90s where like you think of it more along the lines of like legends of the fall legends of the fall a river runs Mm -hmm. through it yeah i i struggle to like think of a comparable actor because it's like who now is as like red hot as brad pitt was in the 90s doing almost exclusively prestige movies like even the devil's own as an option well yeah because the devil's own mm-hmm. was was alan j pakula yes yes it was so it's like yeah he was he was making like and we never really pegged him as like going hard for oscar but like clearly he was making this sort of stretch of movies <laughs> He was at and, least in movies that were trying to reach for that, even if he wasn't. Yeah. Yes. Totally true. Spy Game was, uh, well, that was Tony Scott, but that was like Robert Redford. You know, that was. Yeah, I don't know. What did what Bobby? What did you? What were your opinions of Brad Pitt during this era? Were you at all like? Was he like an actor you really uh, liked, or were you? Did you come to him later was, on? I came to him later on because he was in. Um, mostly R-rated movies. So right. I, in the '90s, I wasn't watching his movies. They, I wasn't the audience for him, and I, <clears throat> I knew about him, but he, I mean, I had the perception of him as the biggest movie star on the planet, yeah. obviously, but not because I'd seen his movies. You know, like I didn't, I didn't start watching them until, I don't know, maybe like Fight Club, just because. Yeah. What was that? I was. In high school, I, 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 I'm not sure, but you know, like that was a that was a cool movie. And even though I wasn't really old enough to see Fight Club, right. um, I wanted to see Fight Club, so I saw Fight Club, and I was like, "Oh, Brad Pitt, okay." I think my but version of that by... was Seven, where I was I'm a little bit older than you, so like I mm-hmm. was Seven was that movie where I saw it with a group of friends, and we were probably too young to see it, and it kind of freaked mm-hmm. us out. But like that was, I think that was my gateway drug because right before then although i had i had seen interview with the vampire 
somehow also. Yeah, I think I must I must have seen that on. But television. that was a whole other yeah. thing. It's tough to like. By the time, go ahead. By the time I was on the Brad Pitt train, he was like fully, I guess, m- more comfortable being what he's best at, which is a supporting character. So, uh, like you know, uh, with Ocean's Eleven or um, Babel, I-, I I don't right. know. Like it, by the time I was watching Brad Pitt movies, he wasn't necessarily the lead anymore. Burn After Reading's another one where he's a really yeah, really yeah. good supporting player. This is kind of the movie that broke that image for him. And maybe because it was partly a bomb, but like he's also kind of actively terrible in this movie. And mm-hmm. part of that is because he's so wildly miscast. But like mm-hmm. you can see this is kind of a pivot point for him in his career because the very next year you have yes. Fight Club, which feels That's the most thing. like That's the Brad major transition. Yeah. It's the major transition in his career where uh Micho Black does terribly as that character and then fight club. I don't even know if it was a financial success, but it was a huge critical success mm-hmm. even before any mm-hmm. of this, like that's a movie that's gone through like cycles of backlash and, and whatnot. But certainly at the time it was hugely well-received. It was one of the big, like if the Oscars had, you know, had balls or had, you know, better taste, they'd nominate, you know, that movie, which I actually agree with. Um, mm-hmm. But that was, Definitely, like, okay, this is going to be the Brad Pitt for the new century as we, like, yeah. turn over the calendar. And and very and, much so. And, and yeah, he's terrible in Meet Joe Black, but uh, they're really... I don't think... Even if he... And, he, yeah, he's miscast, but it's an insane character. Yes. It doesn't make sense. Yes. This yes. version of death doesn't make any sense. So it makes even less sense when you put Brad Pitt in there. It's, it's a movie that doesn't know how it wants to conceive... Death is death an alien? Because like when death is like yeah. taunting Anthony Hopkins, when we first sort of encounter it as a presence, where it's using Anthony Hopkins' voice, it's sort of a voice in his head, or that weird like shimmery reflection in his penthouse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and then at that point, death seems all knowing and like it it's you know, it's very perceptive and it knows how to like, you know, prey on Anthony Hopkins's insecurities and whatnot and then Mm -hmm. it's sort of birthed into this person of brad pitt where it becomes like k-pax like it's very much just sort of like what's peanut butter did you just like arrive on earth from a spaceship yeah the peanut butter thing is a dead giveaway where it's just like i get the whole idea (laughs) of like death has not experienced human sense pleasures or whatever but like as with every scene in this movie the peanut butter scene goes on for a year and a day Every single scene in this movie takes three times <laughs> l- as long as it should. Yeah. Where I like, I would be watching a thing and then I would like, you know, turn to my computer to like, you know, get an email or whatever. And I would turn back to the screen and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to have to rewind to like see the scene that I missed. And I'm like, nope, still the same scene. Still ending it's the same scene that I, that I was <laughs> turned away from five minutes ago it's wild all of his and for in one way i felt like it was a little indicative of how like up our own ass with just the thirsting for brad pitt we were at the time because like you can totally see someone in like either the editing room or on set with these like reams and reams of text that the screenplay is that it's just like oh but it's fine because no one's gonna mind watching brad pitt just stand there for three hours and it's like all this movie kind of asks him to do is be like a blank canvas of pretty for like whatever we want to ascribe to him. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
And 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 to go back to how long every scene is, every scene is so long. Every scene has so much unnecessary dialogue. It just like it's it's and it's long brutal, pauses. nonstop. But no one, there's never a point despite how much time everyone has to say something and how much time they're spending observing this complete insanity back around them, no one ever asks, who the fuck are you? No one ever is as baffled as they should be by except him. Except for Jake Weber. And that's yeah. something that... Except, yeah, and, and that never really goes away. No. So, like, as... as as well as well shot as it is and like as 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 much time as it gives every character to sort of like look and sort of squint at Brad Pitt and wonder what's happening all of those people should be asking hey dad hey bill yeah. who is this guy can you please give us a real explanation cuz nothing you're saying is making any sense and especially Claire Forlani yes. she i mean he is he is absolutely a different person that second time that she's and, and she should be way more questioning about and him. what makes it twice maddening is then at the end of the movie she has this like leap where all of a sudden she understands everything where Mm -hmm. all of a sudden she like she understands that her father has died and Mm -hmm. that you know he is now brad pitt has now come back as the person she met in the diner and no real explanation has come to her and yet she just sort of like it has like this recognition has washed over her and it's Mm -hmm. just like i mean and her dad her dad just died. By walking over a <laughs> and hill. she understands it. And she's like, let's go watch the fireworks yes. again. <laughs> right. Like, do you want to break it to your older sister who, like, is going to be devastated that, like, on the oh. night of this party that she planned all of this for, that that her father died? Like, nope. Nobody. Like, yeah, maybe no, somebody whatever. should go get his body on the other side of the bridge, <laughs> even. <laughs> the bridge. Okay. Here's my other question, though. It's- when Claire Forlani's character, I don't care about their real names, whatever. Claire Forlani <laughs> meets Brad Pitt in God, the coffee shop uh, in the beginning year of this movie. Um, and I I was a little bit invested in that. I thought that their chemistry was good. I thought that's mm-hmm. the only time in the movie that I thought, huh, I think I like Claire Forlani as an actress. Who knew? Um, Mm -hmm. I thought it was charming. I thought it was fun. And then the second they meet again as Joe Black and and, um, in her father's sort of like vast mansion, whatever, that all that chemistry goes away. And yet that's the point where we're supposed to be like romantic and swoony for them. And I just I fully stopped buying it. And I don't know. Did anybody else like the coffee shop scene as much as I did? I did, and I'm glad that you brought mm-hmm. this scene up because it leads into, like, I think what is the most notorious scene of this movie. Shockingly, that this movie can only <laughs> have the one. But there's this car crash scene where the real person that Brad Pitt is playing before he becomes Joe Black, Death, whatever, he's hit by multiple cars, Ooh. and it's shot in a way <laughs> that. And I it's get Regina that. Like, it's Regina George. It's Regina George getting fully hit by Regina the bus. George. Like, it plays as comedy and i guess that it's maybe the way that it's shot is more familiar to like the comedies of this time like we're very this is an era of very like broad physical comedies like i think of austin powers movies where it's like someone gets hit Mm -hmm. by a car and it's funny but he literally gets hit by a car flies in the air and is hit by another car <laughs> and yeah. I knew about this scene before watching this movie, and for I did some not. reason, I thought it was the end of the movie. So <laughs> I was even taken off guard when it happened. But it's also like the preamble to this like momentous thing of this flirtation resulting in death. Basically, they both like 
are walking away from each other on the street and multiple times each of them stops to look back at the other right. at different times right. and it takes forever and it's and- like maybe <laughs> if you just didn't look at each other that one time right you would be alive well and like the visual language of somebody's about to get hit by a car we're all pretty familiar with it by now so like oh yeah we you you know it's coming from that end because it's just like why are we still looking at this guy crossing the street? Oh, I've, you know, I've seen this scene before. And right. it does come across as comedic though. And it shouldn't, but it's just like, it's very cartoonish. Yeah. And I was, and I was thinking about it again, watching and, and I, and I was trying to, to, to rationalize it. And I think maybe I was, maybe the explanation for just how comical that scene is, is because if they had sort of, cut away the moment we heard you know tires screeching and then the smash would we have known he's dead i think right it, it reads mm. to me as this sort of moment where everyone in the room was like we have to make sure the audience knows that this guy died so there can be no question right that joe black when we see him again is death and not this dude who's come back and yeah I understand that impulse, but like, how did they not think of a better way to definitively definitively kill him than have him get hit by three cars? And it doesn't have to be like Margaret or anything like that, where we you have to watch like the grisly demise. Alice and Janney go blind, right? Um, (laughs) Right. I also kind of don't understand why we need to meet him as a human form before he's death anyway, because she like falls Mm -hmm. in love with him and eventually has very weird sex with him. Like, so, oh, like, can we talk about that for up. half a second? That sex scene? I hate that. Scene. I hate that. That's one of the worst sex, sex scenes I've ever seen. It's really, for okay, for a billion reasons, one of which is, how dare you put Brad Pitt in a sex scene and not show anything? But B, <laughs> like, even just some butt. I don't want to, I don't need to see his dick. I just, like, I want to see some, I want to see his butt. Come on. We, we, you know. Or, like, his back or something. It's, like, it's a sex yeah. scene fully shot through like shoulders and neck and face yeah. and that's all you ever see Thelma and like, Louise showed face, us his face, naked face, hip face, bones face. and that's all we needed for like a decade that like sustained us mm-hmm. for a solid decade until those until those paparazzi photos yeah, yes those iconic what a time to be alive photo. that was speaking of his relationship with Gwyneth totally but wow what a moment <laughs> um but so this so <laughs> in looking up the the movie on Wikipedia, I, so I looked up the locations or whatever, and everything to do with the the mansion and the party and all the exteriors or whatever, that was filmed on location at this mansion in Rhode Island. And then everything mm-hmm. else, all the business scenes and all the interiors were on a, in a, filmed in a uh, studio that they had built, a set, sets that they had built at the Park Slope Armory in Park Slope, which I lived like two blocks away from for three years. And which is this cool building that's like this giant sort of like castle in the middle of Park Slope and it takes up like a full city block and now it's like a YMCA. It's kind of funny. Um, But so all of this stuff is like fully on set. So they have the sex scene in the middle of the fucking day. Just sun like scare quote sunshine streaming in through these giant windows could not be more and it's like it's not sunlight sunshine it's key lighting but it's just like every light in three counties was like i imagine like the power grid like dimming and just being like because like all of the power in the entire city was being used to light that scene it's so fucking bright and like unsexy 
It is the most chaste sex scene you will ever see that will make you fully need to, like, scrub your skin. It was... (laughs) It's icky, man. Like, it carries this weird tone, like, something... I mean, like, she's having sex with death, so that's already, like... Is that a safe thing to do? Right, right. Um, What precautions should one take when they are having sex with death? But, like, death is, like, almost crying while he's having sex. Also, Mm -hmm. okay, as I refer to my notes, my notes literally are like, oh, so he's good at sex right away. Like... Okay, death. And it doesn't even that scene doesn't even he make doesn't it know seem what like fucking peanut butter is. But yeah, he's like this like fucking stallion in the sack the first time around. But I do. But also, I think that sex scene was more about him. Like the movies, the the whole movie's relationship with women is a nightmare. Yes. But even in the sex scene, where it's like, it was less about sex than it was about him, uh, the sex being good than it was about him being like ah women. Uh, isn't like sex with women amazing? Isn't this wonderful? It put the, because it put this... you can't look me in the eye and tell me Claire Forlani had a good time right, there. Right, there's no. You way. can't tell me she was there. <laughs> it put. It, it was. It's just like very much like oh, he learns humanity through penetration. I don't understand. It's. I don't even think it's that much. I don't even think it's he learns humanity. I think the sensual pleasure of having sex is on the same par as the peanut butter. I think it's just like, oh, that's what that feels like. Oh, that's what that tastes like. And then, like, oh, peanut, the pleasure peanut, 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 peanut butter. And then you ask the question once again, which you ask over and over again during this movie. It's like, how long has humanity been around? How long has death existed? And he finally does it now with this family it took him this long to experience these little pleasures like what was being telegraphed by this family that made him say like this is the one time i'm gonna try peanut butter this is the family that's gonna get me to try sex like you can't tell me this is the most interesting family he's ever encountered and i don't think that's a problem if this movie had some more like magical realism to it like, if this was a little bit more of a fantastical story, you wouldn't probably ask those questions. But everything is so bland mm-hmm. and, like, hazy. That yeah. It's like the movie doesn't really have the guts to, like, have any kind of artistic point of view. It just wants to be, like, soothing. Yeah. And and in a way, like, I... In a way, the ending of this movie, as, as long as it takes to get there... Um, and to go back to the music, it's like you're you, you're almost sort of sold by the end mm-hmm. because it is that music is so great at the end. And I'm like, I guess maybe I am moved. But then the moment, you know, you talk about it with two people on a podcast, you're like, wait right, a second. Wait, what happened am there? I insane? Yeah. <laughs> no, don't allow myself to be. I can't allow myself to be moved by this movie ever. Yeah. So I want to talk about the screenplay for a second because it's credited to four writers, but the one real notable name among them is Bo Goldman. And I don't think I've read definitively one way or another where he came in on this screenplay. Whether I imagine he was, I don't think you you get anybody else to rewrite Bo Goldman's version of whatever this. So I imagine he either polished it or like rewrote whatever was there before. That's just my speculation. Because he was the mm-hmm. credited screenwriter on Sen of a Woman. Right. And he, like, had done, he's uncredited on The Perfect Storm, even though the story there is, like, it's a full page one rewrite that he did 
uh, you know, stem to stern and was not credited, but that's his screenplay. So Bo Goldman is a screenwriter whose work dates back to the 70s. He won an Oscar for adapting One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He won another Oscar mm-hmm. in the early 80s for Melvin and Howard, the movie that Mary Steenburgen won her Oscar for. He did the screenplay for The Rose, which is one of my sort of pet favorite melodramatic movies. Um, Bette Midler in that movie did the screenplay for Son of a Woman, which is the screenplay and a movie that gets a lot of shit for being big and over the top. And the mm-hmm. whole, like, you know, the the big sort of Al Pacino, Frank Slade scene at the end where he's railing off about, what does he say? He's like, y'all, if you, if you, if you do this to Charlie, you'll all be bad bums. You think you're merely sending this splendid foot soldier back home to Argonne with his tail between his legs, but I say you are executing his soul! And why? Because he's not a bad man. Bad men. You hurt this boy, you're gonna be bad bums. The lot of you. And Harry, Jimmy, Trent, wherever you are out there, Fuck you too. And like that whole thing. And it's, <laughs> but whenever that scene's on television, I'm not going anywhere. I'm fucking watching that. Like it's so it's, I think he's a type of screenwriter that sort of knows those kind of big moments and big uh, emotions. And he got a great reputation for these, these screenplays and winning the two Oscars. And so, I think Meet Joe Black, if this is a lot of his work, I think it's maybe, like, the limitations of this, like, high-concept movie as, like, it's death, but he falls in love. Like, you know what I mean? You just imagine just, like, somebody <laughs> sitting there and just, like, blowing your mind with this thing. But I I looked up... I didn't realize that it was based on... Um based on some the pre-existing from the 30s like, property yeah. death takes a holiday and when i read the synop which which after going to the wikipedia found out that death takes a holiday was also a bomb um, <laughs> but it's never uh, worked. A, like a financial disappointment in 1930 but in that movie even the one sentence synopsis that i read sounded more interesting which is like death takes a holiday and while he's on holiday no one can die and and missing that element i think is is what is one of the main problems with the movie because there really are no stakes in mm-hmm. this. Yeah, they touch like, on that the with the woman, that death... with, the, with the um the woman in the hospital, but they don't really but, like, like the they don't the, extend the it. The planet out. is huge, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like there are a lot of other yes. people on this planet. Like it's it's more interesting yeah. the the actual um the effects of him doing this aren't really explained, and that's sort of one of the most interesting things about this concept, if you were starting from yeah. the ground up. I imagine just, like, Marsha Gay Harden, like, surviving a helicopter crash and then just, like, <laughs> showing up at the party with, like, live geese and being like, I got him! Um, another thing uh, about the screenplay that I thought was funny is when when you get to the end and, you know, it, it it's been going on for so long and finally it's over and... <laughs> It's Finally. sort of satisfying again because of the music and the fireworks. Because uh, you know, our my stupid brain was still <laughs> right. sort of moved by the fireworks it's, and the it's music. It's a handsomely but made movie. We can forgive this. But that, but that last line, I I didn't write it down. But she says something like, "What what what now? What do we do now?" And he's like, "Let's see what happens" or something. That is the second movie in 1998 
that ends with roughly that scene. Oh, wow. Wait, what's That's the also other one? how that sex is, scene ends, too. It's like, what's now? But Pleasantville ends almost yes. the exact same way. You're right. It's, yeah. it's, and it's uh, Jeff Daniels and says, Joan Allen on the bench, right? On that bench. Yes. And it's and it and I was and I was thinking about that as this ended, and I was like, was that the same year? And it was. And but the Pleasantville ending does that so much yeah. better. And that that sort of ending, which I think is also the end of Garden State, and I'm sure a host of other movies, like what do we do? And then just like cut to black. Well, it's almost um, also the ending of Fight Club too, right? Where they're like, yeah, staring out the building, and it's just like, well, and it's like that can work, but it doesn't work here. It like really doesn't no. work here. Yeah. Because you're like, you didn't answer any of my questions. <laughs> right. This is still wild. Also, what happened to the coffee shop guy's body and family? family. I was about to bring that him. up. Back to life They've mourned him. Family. He's dead. His best friend's sister. And now he's back and engaged to Claire Forlani? What? Right. Did his body disappear from wherever it was in being interred? <laughs> like, it's been several. It's been long enough to have... Awake and funeral, right? I don't know how many days does this yeah. movie span. Probably just one. Oh, no, really? The whole story. hostile takeover thing happens in like the span of a day. Okay. Uh, probably. I mean, this is all an afternoon or something. It's... I don't know. This movie takes place it, in less real than a week. Time. Yeah, less than a week. Okay. Less than a week, I would. Say. So, like enough time for that sister to get the call that like your yes. brother's mangled body was your brother found who on you were just having like a conversation with on the phone, and we're like maybe having an argument, but like, ugh, I don't know. We hate to break it to you. He's been hit by 17 cars. <laughs> the entire fleet of NYC taxis has just like <laughs> rolled over him like the elephant parade in that episode of The Simpsons. Like Oh boy. And for and also for a for a a death that gruesome and violent, like the real the real version of that death would have yes. been completely disgusting. Yes. Yeah, we we're we're at enough of a distance and there's no blood and whatever, but like Oh boy, mm-hmm. um, Chris, why don't you go through some of the other um, intricacies of the failure of Micho Black while I check my notes and see what I mean? I, I was going to say, like, it's fairly obvious why this didn't capitalize on any Oscar buzz, but like, I'm a little shocked that the movie actually was as well received as it was, considering the end product. It got a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is like I've never been shocked to see something that much higher than the expectation and a 43 on metacritic so like there were actually some like kind reviews for this a lot of it just kind of i saw some good notices for anthony hopkins um and i actually think he's kind of good steering this like non-ship that's like fully anchored to the Mm. bottom of the deep sea um and like We've talked about Thomas Newman and how great his score is in this. I saw some notice of that. Um, it didn't do well at the box office because how would a plotless three-hour movie do so well? It only made $44 million. Once again, opened in third place. And, Joe, you brought up the Phantom Menace trailer thing. And, like, this is well before, like, trailers being released on the Internet. So, like, right. we this movie is always kind of inextricably linked to Phantom Menace for me because – there's never been the fever for a trailer like that. I remember reports of like theater mm-hmm. security of people trying to steal the actual reels of the trailer. Oh, um, I do remember that. Yes. So like it was fully a thing that people were buying tickets to movies to see the trailer and not staying. 
and like there were contractual things of like what movies were actually playing the trailers and like <laughs> you could read news articles of like here's the movies you can go see right now that will play that trailer so like a huge chunk of this movie's box office was literally people wanting to see a star wars trailer mm-hmm. that's wild but all like, right I think it, this has definitely carried on like a legacy of being worse than it was initially received because yeah. like even the Razzies only gave it a worst remake nomination. Right. Um, we've talked before about the Yoga Awards, which is like uh, they're Italian, correct? The reverse Joe? Goyas. The Span- yes. They're Spanish because they're the reverse they're Goyas. Yeah. And they gave Brad Pitt their worst foreign actor. But like even the Razzies didn't at that time, which is a little surprising to me. I mean, that year, I'm trying to think of 98. Would that have been, like, the Battlefield Earth year? Were they busy with... No, that was 2000, I want to say. Yeah. 98, they must have been busy with some... I'm sure Madonna did something that displeased them I mean, like, this is much more of a male-dominant movie, and we all know the Razzies love to hate women. I was going to say, they live to hate women, not men. So, yeah. (laughs) Probably Jennifer Lopez breathed or something, and they were just like, ah, worst picture. Um, I know we've... I keep mentioning Marsha Gay Harden, and I'll stop. Never. Um, but I, my notes just say at one point, I'm just like so much justice for Marsha Gay Harden in this movie. We're like, not only does like she have to get saddled with Jeffrey Tambor as her husband when like Claire Forlani gets Brad Pitt, that is like, that's so indicative of so much. But I wrote at one point, I was just like, everybody low key hates her in this movie. She's fighting for Frisia's, which is like the exact flower that Miranda Priestly talks about hating in The Devil Wears Prada, which feels like, I don't know, the, you know, pre, pre-shade pre thrown on poor Marsha Gerhardt. But there's the scene late in the movie where she's once again talking about the only thing she's talking about, which is party prep. And Anthony Hopkins, who was worried about dying and, and the business takeover and whatnot, just sort of brushes it off and is just like, the, the goddamn party. And she just stops you could hear like train screeching is just like the gear stop and she just goes the goddamn party and <laughs> gives this like fantastically like wounded and and hurt sort of acting it's not an acting class scene but it's one of those things where it's just like you imagine somebody's just like i'm gonna give you a three-word phrase and you're gonna give me as many different emotions that go into you repeating this mm-hmm. phrase as possible she just keeps being like the goddamn party the god the goddamn party <laughs> i don't like cake it's for the party, Dad. Ah. The goddamn party. The goddamn party. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that? I'm sorry. The goddamn party. Oh. And sort of like throwing it back in his face. And it's just like, this is why you get Marsha Gay Harden for your shit-ass movie. Because she will give the best mm-hmm. performance in it. And she will make a side character into like the only one that you care about their feelings. And I still, walking out of that movie, I was just like, she's going to be devastated. Devastated. And ultimately, who's going to get this? Who is going to get this business that he's just gotten back into his control? Is, like, Jeffrey Tambor going to be in charge of everything now? Like, I think it's either him or, you know, it'll somehow end up in the hands of coffee shops. Yeah. <laughs> Who just walks you know. between the raindrops and, like, survived this 12-car pileup and manages to get the, like, 12th biggest business in the world <laughs> that fell into his lap. Yeah, it all works out for that guy that handsome. You know what? It just does. So the Razzie's Best Picture winner, um, <laughs> the, I'll read off the nominees because, like, 
this is actually kind of interesting because it's less woman-hating. Their most woman-hating option is they nominated Spice Girl for Worst Picture, Spice World for Worst Picture, which fully go to hell. Yeah, um, seriously. <laughs> the Avengers, the British oh, Avengers sure. with Uma Thurman and Uma Rafe. Uma and Bob. Rafe, yeah. Uh, Godzilla, fine. Sure. Armageddon, which, whatever. And the winner was an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn. Oh, which nobody saw. But if you yeah, just read like, that title and you're like, well, it must be bad. Where it was like the joke. That was the movie where the joke of it was we were going to make an Alan Smithy film and then it became an actual Alan Smithy film. Right, right, right. Which felt like performance art in a way that was just like, there's too much. There's too many hats on hats in this. I don't need to see this. Mm-hmm. And I never did. And I can't imagine wanting to see it now. But yeah. That Godzilla was really bad. Hey, but hey, we're going to do Godzilla. Definitely... Why don't we get Matthew Broderick and who was the female <laughs> lead? It was that blonde woman who was like in sitcoms for a while. I can't remember her name. I'm never going to. Um, what a bad movie that was. Oh, in the Oh, it was a uh... She was the other one in um Maria yes. Patillo. Yeah. Was she in like Ned and Stacy back in the day or something like that? She was in like that era of like bad network sitcoms anyway maria patillo yeah it wasn't going to happen for maria patillo i'm sorry to say <laughs> do we have anything else before we want to jump into the imdb game i the the music the music still does it it's, it's the best. really it's good my favorite you're absolutely right you, it's it's beautiful it is and what i and and having listened to that like i've i'd only seen Micha black once before yesterday and it was probably you know in the year 2000 it was probably on television um, so I, I must have seen because I read the Wikipedia after the TV cut didn't even include the business scenes. <laughs> so I mean, I, I really was, I really was seeing it for the first yeah. time. Um, and you did text me at music, one point. You texted me early on. What did you say? You were just and I was like, it's yeah. You're like, I think this is. I was good. like, the thing about me, Joe Black, is that it's good. <laughs> and then you know, and and that was minute forty. I was going to say, and then an hour uh, later, you were just like, retract that statement. I take it back. <laughs> I take it back. But the but the um, the music specifically, there are things there are like cues in the film that aren't on the score. So that was kind of fun and exciting for me to hear things because I've listened to it so many, so many, so many, so many, so many, so many, so many times in full, just straight through. Yeah. So hearing even slight deviations, it was it was very jarring to right. me. But I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. This is the score is somehow even longer than <laughs> they could fit on a CD. <laughs> Imagine. There's one more thing in my notes that I just want to bring up. I wrote down, this is towards the end. I said, does nobody else find it strange that Joe and Susan, Susan is Claire Forlani's name, are having this fraught 25-minute embrace in the middle of this giant celebration? They're like big climactic scene where they just sort of stare wordlessly at each other forever Mm -hmm. and like hug way too like emotionally. And it's just like, there are just your dad's friends are just walking all around. And And I'm just like imagining like what, what anybody thinks of this happening in the middle of this gorgeous about to be firework display of a, of a party. And you've got, you know, your six screenwriters who are like, how do we write the scene where he tells her that she's deaf? And then it's like, Oh, we, we can't figure don't. this out. So let's just have them hug. For and then she like, and then, and then she figures it out on her own all at once after they cross like, over. How did you not figure out? She should have figured that out from minute one. Come on. It's, he's obviously death, honey. That's he's, we're just like her girlfriends I mean, in like a, a human. in like a Comedy Central thing or whatever. It's just like, <laughs> honey, he's death. The signs <laughs> are death. all there. 
Yeah, it's it 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 would definitely be you know Wanda Sykes is Claire Forlani's best friend, and she's like, <laughs> yes. I've been telling you, he is dead. Yes. You won't believe me. Like, I'm not going to involve myself in this. No, I'm not coming to your stupid party. He's dead. I, speaking <laughs> of Wanda Sykes, I'll have no other reason to bring this up ever, so I'm just going to bring it up now. Her character in Monster-in-Law, I get that it's a sort of hacky, regressive thing where she's like, the assistant, she might as well just be the sassy maid. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. It's bad. We shouldn't be doing that. And yet, the experience of Wanda Sykes in that movie on a line-by-line basis where she just at one point looks at Jane Fonda and she goes, I am sick, sick, sick of your shit. I am, and she's like, and when I'm not sick, I am tired. I am tired, tired, tired of your shit. And it's just like, I can't not love that. I am sick. I am sick, sick, sick of your shit. And when I'm not sick, I'm tired. I am sick and tired. What are you saying? Damn you and your luggage. Ruby, you're, you're not going to leave me too, are you? Oh, I'm leaving you, you old slut. Isn't that line in the trailer? Yes. I am sick, sick, I'm sick of your... I'm sick, and sick, then, sick of your shit, and I'm tired. You know, cuts. And I'm tired, tired, tired. <laughs> and it's just like, ah, it's so... Like, everything else, yes, you're right. Uncle, guilty, yes. And yet, <laughs> she's so good. I don't know. That's all. That's all about, about Micho Black. Note on Micho Black would just be, this would have been in the era where VHS was still a thing and it would have been a double VHS. Like, I can't yeah. begin to fathom the act of bravery it takes <laughs> to, <laughs> to put, put that in second that second VHS. <laughs> At what point, what point do you cut it off that is just like, well, now they have I to put it in that second tape? the sex scene is the thing. <sighs> I bet the sex scene is the end of tape one. Yeah. Oh man, what's the I'm scene? I'm sure one that... of our listeners will tell us. If you watched Meet Joe Black on VHS, tell yeah. us when the beginning of tape two is. Please do. We will. This movie from we will other. publicize that. Bobby, what does the Titanic double tape cut off at? Um, it it cuts off after it's after the the iceberg hits. I'm I sure think I it's. Remember. It. It's after it hits, and I don't really remember. I'm pretty sure it ends after the line, you're going to get your headlines, Mr. Ismay. Oh. And then it's I'm just like... I'm pretty sure that's okay. when the break Put in is. tape two. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Titanic is full of moments like that, though. You could take any moment from the middle of Titanic and you and end it there, and you're just like, I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. I got to throw in tape two. Meet Joe Black is the opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm glad we saw this. I'm glad I've now seen all of it, but like... Whew. Not recommended. Yeah. Just listen to it. As do take Bobby's cue. Just listen to it. Okay, so the IMDB game, we end our, all of our episodes with this. We challenge each other to name the top four titles that IMDB says that a famous actor or actress is most known for. Um, caveats being, we will um, mention if there is voiceover work or television work. We also try to avoid the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Harry Potter because those float to the top and they're very boring. Um, once you get two wrong guesses, we give out the years. After that, it just kind of becomes a free-for-all of hints. So, Joe, how are we doing this? Who is going to be giving who first? I think we'll, uh, Bobby being our guest, we'll let Bobby give his clue first. Bobby will give to me, I'll give to you, and then you can give to Bobby. Fantastic. All right. The one I've chosen for all of you is Marsha Gay Harden. I'm taking this. 
Marsha Gay Harden. Marsha Gay Harden's tough because her Oscar win is not something I feel like is popular enough to be in her top four. Uh, Mystic River. That's right. Okay. Um, ooh, and none of it is television and none of it is voice. None of it is television. Okay. Um, oh, this is tough, kinda. Can I can I give you a hint? Let me let me let me guess a couple wrong, and then okay. you can throw me some okay. hints. Is Whip it one of them? No. Damn it. Ah, oh, so good. So good. I knew it probably wasn't, but I had to get it out of my head, or else that's the only thing I would have been able to think of. We spent um, a bunch of time talking about Whip it last episode, right? Yes, we did. Oh, because of Drew. Yeah, we talked about Drew. Oh, I love that movie. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, movies where she was... Oh, oh, First Wives Club? Nope. Damn it. She's great in the First Wives Club. I just saw there was a video from, like, People Magazine um, where somebody was talking to her about that scene with the foam bats with Mm -hmm. her and Diane Keaton. And she was like, Diane Keaton really hit me with that foam bat. (laughs) She's like, I don't think I was supposed to take it away from her in the scene, but I did. Joe, you got your two wrong guesses, so oh, you're going to get years now. Oh, yeah, Bobby, give me the years of the ones I haven't gotten. Well, two of them are 2007. Okay. One of them is 2000. One of them is 2000. Is mm-hmm. it Pollock? It is Pollock, yeah. Wow, okay. Like it's you said, surprising. well, it couldn't be Pollock. <laughs> yeah. It has to be, like, we're currently in the thick of Oscar season that it bumped up because a listener actually, like, reached out to us on Twitter saying that Pollock is now in Ed Harris is known for. Wild. Oh. Wild. Yeah. Okay, so two it replaced like Apollo 13. Right. <laughs> 2007. Oh, mm-hmm. Into the Wild. That's right. Okay. One Which I've fully forgotten she was in, but like it she's makes She's the mom, sense right? She's, she's his movie. mom? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Marsha Gay Harden, 2007. Weird. Joe, I will give you the hint that, like, all of her other ones are, like, Oscar-adjacent movies. This is definitely not. This yeah. is decidedly not. This, this is the like, wild card. Very mainstream No. <laughs> is it bad? I mean, a more mainstream genre. Yeah, more mainstream genre, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, like, straight comedy? No. No. Horror? Yes. Oh, The Mist. That's it. She's it fucking great in the mist. She's the so mist is so good. She's very campy, but like in a beautiful way. Highly recommended. <laughs> we want the boy. You we want back. the boy. You also, sometimes there is justice in the IMDb game because no Fifty Shades for Marsha Gay Harden, and Thank I would have probably yeah. missed Fifty Shades. That's true. Keep that out of there. All right. So I am now. That was a good one, Bobby. Thank you. You're now, welcome. I will choose one to give to Chris. Chris, I followed the breadcrumbs from Martin Brest to the aforementioned Scent of a Woman, who was the other shitty kid in Scent of a Woman who Al Pacino uh, has no respect for. That was played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, the late uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. So why don't hearts. you give me the known for for Philip Seymour Hoffman? Okay, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, Capote. Correct. Um, almost Famous. Yes, correct. Boogie Nights. Nope. One strike. Ugh, I need to stop guessing Boogie Nights because it's never there. Um, <laughs> ugh, I don't like this, but I'm going to say um, Mockingjay. Nope. 
Uh, it's two strikes. All right, so you're missing 2007 and 2012. 2012 is the master. Yep, 2012 is the master. And 2007... Yeah, ooh, trying to think of when that was... Oh, um, is it Charlie Wilson's War? Yes. Okay. You're too good at this. I had to stop myself for a second because I wanted to say The Savages because he's actually the lead of The Savages, but yeah. because of his Oscar nomination, I guess Charlie Wilson's War. And the poster for Charlie, the poster for Charlie Wilson's War is Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts sort of staring into each other's eyes, and he's got his arm around her shoulder in a way that I think is supposed to fool us into thinking it's like there's a romance between them, even though I'm pretty sure that's not the case. And then in the middle of the two of them is just Philip Seymour Hoffman like staring like a creepo. It's a very weird yeah. poster. It's a super they weird They have poster. a sexual relationship, but it's not a but romance. But it's not a romance. Right. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all okay, right, so, so yes. I am uh, giving to you, Bobby, and I have uh, a performer that we talked about um, as Claire Forlani's former co-star in Boys and Girls. <laughs> we are talking about Freddie Prinze Jr. Ooh, oh, my God. Nice. Okay. Okay. Uh, she's all that. Yes. Okay. Um, is I know what you did last summer? Yes. Okay. So you have two more. Oh, my goodness. Um, would it be, is it also, is it also, I still know what you did last summer? <laughs> it's not, I still know what you did last summer. <laughs> um, is it, uh, summer catch? No, not summer catch. Okay. So that's two, that's two wrong, um, wrong answers. You have 2002 and 2004. 2002 and 2004. I'll um, also give you the hint that these movies are associated together. Oh, <laughs> it's the Scooby-Doo's. Yes, it's the Scooby-Doo's. <laughs> Can I also say the unfortunate oh hat that he's wearing in his IMDb profile photo is... The unfortunate hat he's wearing in the Scooby-Doo movies. Well, that's just Fred's wig, but yes. Um, it's He deserves better than this profile photo is what I will say. I wonder if this profile photo is him during his WWE days. Maybe. He spent a good few years as a writer. What does it say? I'm trying to look at like years. 2008, 2009, writer for SmackDown. Amazing. What a career. Fantastic. <laughs> what a life. Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> what a life and what an episode. Yeah, um, Bobby, thank you so much for joining us <laughs> for this. Thank you for having me. Any this last, uh, last. last lingering thoughts before we begin to sign off? If, uh, if someone you met in a coffee shop suddenly appears at your dad's house, uh, run away. <laughs> Ask more questions. <laughs> Run away. Ask more questions. And if he can't answer them to your satisfaction, get out of there. If his answer yeah. is like not long, protracted silence. Cool. Yeah. If he is very clearly not the person you met at the coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> right. Escape. Right. <laughs> God. Good All right. Advice. That's our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Please also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Bobby, tell our lovely listeners where they can find more of you. You can find more of me at uh, at Bobby Finger on Twitter, and then by subscribing to Who Weekly and or I'm Obsessed with This wherever you get podcasts. 
I have to say, I'm obsessed with this. Is my new? It's my new favorite podcast. It's so it's so good. It was like, what could Netflix do that like was a better idea than just sort of like handing you a podcast to talk to your friends about like whatever TV shows you're into right now? It's such a good idea. It's such a good idea. For some reason, you do not listen to Who Weekly. It is essential listening listeners. Yes. So, Joe, tell our listeners where they can find you. Speaking of essential listening, you guys. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Uh, Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, spelled the exact same way. And I am Chris File. You can find me on Twitter at Chris V File. That's F-E-I-L. Please also find us on Letterboxd, also Chris V File, where you will find our This Head Oscar Buzz running list. It has all of our titles with direct links to our episodes and IMDB game stats. Uh, you can also find me writing at thefilmexperience.net. And we'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please, please, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with iTunes visibility. Um, Please be our massive, insane fireworks display on iTunes. (laughs) Long and drawn out fireworks. As bright and protracted as you want to be. And you know what? Like, over a bridge, whatever. Like, Marsha Gay crying in the background. Fireworks. Um, That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye. Bye.